What I'd like to talk about this evening is um, some of what we're being aware of in Vipassana meditation and also how it relates to some of the hindrances which I started to talk about earlier in the afternoon. Since I think an awareness of the hindrances is very important because they come up not only in the in the meditation retreat, but in our daily practice, in our life, they're there. And they're, they're not so much hindrances, but material manifesting within ourselves that we can work with. So I'd like to integrate that into the talk. I'd like to start off by saying that at some point in time or out of time, we made a decision to evolve spiritually through the material plane. At some point, we chose as our path of spiritual development to manifest in some kind of physical form. I mean, obviously, we live in a world of form. We have bodies. Um, we are sitting on cushions, which is supported by wood and by the building, which is supported by the ground. There's air all around us. There's water falling down upon us. That we ourselves, our body, and everything around us is made of atoms, molecules, or as they say in Buddhist terminology, made of elements. Made of the elements of, um, of heat, of water, of air, and of cohesion or solidity. For instance, the mountain that we're sitting on right now is composed of, um, of earth element, of cohesion, but within the earth there's also air. Air penetrates into the earth. The earth is not something solid, it's permeated with air also. Um, and as it rains, water seeps into the ground. So the earth is not just something that is solid, but is also mixed with other elements as well. A tree, for example, is something that looks very solid to us and is composed of atoms, composed of molecules. Um, there's also a lot of water in a tree that is really sap and that as the temperature changes at a certain time of year the heat element builds up inside of the tree and that water element rises the sap rises in certain kinds of trees and then it feeds the branches and then life forms to the end of the branches and there's leaves and there's blossoms and everything that we can see manifesting um, and a blooming tree. There's waters and streams that course through the mountains and all around us. So the, the whole earth, our whole atmosphere, is composed of these four elements, and so is our body as well. Um, sometimes the heat element is predominant. If the wood stove is 
um, stoked up. The heat element builds. If you open up the window, the air element comes in, and that becomes predominant. If we feel energy being blocked in our body and manifesting in the form of tension within the body, and that happens very frequently um, during a retreat, then the um, cohesion element becomes more predominant at that time. When we're, or when our, we, after we eat a big meal and we feel heavy, then the cohesive element is predominant. And we tend to feel very slothful, very heavy, very tired at that time. When our body is feeling lighter, when our mind is able to be a little bit more focused, when we're able to be with the in-breath and the out-breath, there's much more lightness. And so the air element is predominant at that time. So it's, all the elements are changing, constantly changing. I was, uh, I did kind of a self-retreat at the, the ocean on the Outer Banks earlier this fall. And it was a beautiful um, weekend in October. And the water was warm enough to go swimming in. And uh, it was very clear. The, the sky was clear. The moon, it was a full moon. I didn't know it was a full moon weekend, but it turned out to be a full moon. Um, the sand was warm during the day. Um, and I was sitting there after swimming in the ocean. I went swimming naked and it felt so wonderful and I came out. There was nobody around at all. It's a very remote place. You can only get there by boat. And I was sitting in the dunes and I was looking at the water and just listening to the waves coming in, just the wave rising and falling. Another wave rising, slowing up and falling, just getting into this, the rhythm of the ocean. And then I started to feel this oneness with the ocean as though my body was disappearing and becoming one with the ocean. Like there was no separation between myself and the ocean at all. And then it dawned on me, well of course that makes sense because I'm 95% made of salt water the same element as the ocean. That's what our body is made of. 95% of salt water, the same thing as the ocean. What happens to us when we die? When, you know, our body's put into a coffin and then put down into the earth. Again, it meets again with the elements. It disintegrates. You know, air and water, and it all becomes mixed together again. You know, we go back to dust. We go back to the elements. And this is really what we're aware of in the context of our meditation practice when we um, use the first foundation of mindfulness, which is mindfulness of the body, is seeing the true nature of the body and how it changes, how all the elements are changing. From moment to moment, from one sitting to another, from one day to another, how our body begins to change. In uh, traditional Buddhism, there is a number of different meditations that focus upon looking at the body as elements. 
like I just described, seeing which element is predominant in your body. For instance, if you have a cold, maybe the heat element is more predominant because you have a fever. If the nose is running, if there's more congestion, the water element is predominant at that time. The, you know, just feeling the nature of the body. Sometimes we think, oh, I've got a cold, I can't meditate. But if we look at what's happening to the body and the elements that are predominant in that moment and how they're manifesting and how they're changing, this truly is the practice, this is the meditation. So you can meditate no matter what the state of the body is, no matter what the condition of the body is. If it's feeling tight and tense, that's one state. If it's feeling heavy, it's another state. If it's feeling light and airy, that's another state. Not one state of the body is not any better than another because it's just body, it's just elements, and it's just changing all of the time. difficult being born into a human body. I have a sense that before we are born into a human body, that we have a different kind of body than we have right now. It's not as dense. It's much lighter. It's made of a much more subtle kind of energy. Uh, perhaps a very, very light vibration of energy. And so, we may be moving from that state of being very, very light and unencumbered physically with very little limitation in the sense of a physical limitation. And then we're being born into a human body, which is much more dense, much more solid, more defined, in a certain sense more limited as a result of that. And so, with that, with being born into a human body, as we look around, as we sense our relationship with other bodies, with other people, it can sometimes give rise to a sense of separation. Like, this is my body, this is your body, this is your body. And we're separate because we have these separate bodies. And that further gives rise to the delusion that we are our bodies and gives rise to more sense of separation, more feelings of aloneness, of being separated from others. Perhaps some of you at some point have felt an aversion for your body, not wanting to be in a body. Sometimes people who are abused emotionally or sexually abused when they're younger have a strong aversion to their body. They hate their bodies. They don't like the way they feel because of the association of 
what has gone on in the past and thinking that it's dirty and it's that it's their fault and that it's their and their body is the proof of that defilement, so to speak, um, that took place in their life by somebody abusing them. Sometimes it's a far-off memory inside of ourselves that remembers when we were somebody who abused somebody else. Perhaps not in this lifetime, perhaps in another lifetime, but there's some level of memory of that. And there's a version as relates to the physical form, relates to the body as a result of that. Sometimes people just don't like the way their bodies look. They don't like the physical appearance. Sometimes it's because there's um, physical limitation, ailment, disease, and because of that, it makes it difficult to accept our bodies. Certainly coming to a meditation retreat and sitting and having to be with our body, just to be still with our body and to feel the nature of the body and the sensations that are there and find some level of acceptance of it can be very, very difficult to do. The tendency may be when unpleasant sensations start to arise in the body to want to push them away, to feel aversion towards them. I don't want to feel this. And in a way, it's a denial of the body. We can look at the many ways in which we deny our body by not eating properly, by not washing when we should, by not taking care of our body. But all of these different kinds of indications that there's some level of aversion to the physical form. And so when we sit, we sit with this body. Be probably a lot easier if we didn't have a body to sit. I mean, imagine today, if you could meditate today without a body. Would you take it? Yeah. <laughs> you bet. I mean, who needs the sore back and the sore legs and all of that stuff? Well, we do, obviously. We have a physical form. It's not a mistake. It can be used to our advantage. It's what we need to learn. That's why we're manifesting into human form. If our learning could best take place at this point without a body, then we wouldn't have a body. We wouldn't need a body. But for all of us, embodied beings, we need this physical form. It's important for us. We should honor it. Now, sometimes there is a tendency in spiritual traditions to deny the body, the usefulness of the body, the importance of the body. I find it increasingly important, as in every other aspect of myself, to love the body, to love the physical form. Because if we don't, then it's going to break down. It's going to it's going to give us problems because we're denying something. We're denying an aspect of ourselves. Whenever we deny something about ourselves or that we're a part of, then it comes back to us in some kind of adverse way. 
the body becoming ill, you know, not having the kind of energy that we need, not feeling in harmony with our body, not feeling attuned with our body. It's wonderful to meet somebody who is fully attuned with their body, and the way they walk, the way they stand, the way they sit, the way they move, the way they eat, you know, just the way that they live inside of their body. Not that everyone has to be, you know, perfect happy yogi or something like that, but just, you know, the truly being in one's body. If you read the Buddhist scriptures, he talks about this all the time, the Buddha. He said, be aware of when you're bathing. Be aware of when you're putting your clothes on. Be aware of when you're walking on alms around, you know, and how you bend. You know, be aware of how you sit, be aware of how you eat, be aware of how you defecate. Everything that you do is an opportunity for mindfulness, for awareness. And when we live in our body, truly living in our body and aware, then all of these, everything that we do becomes an opportunity to be more deeply aware, to be more present with what's taking place. So it's a wonderful um, vehicle. It's a wonderful aggregate for developing mindfulness, developing awareness. So, seeing as we have a body, we're also going to have senses, sense doors, as we call them. We have six senses. We have eyes as we look at each other. We have ears so we can hear. We have a nose, and it's not stuffed up, we can smell. We have a mouth so we can taste our food and eat our food and whistle and whatever else we do with our mouth. We have a body, physical body, that we feel tactile sensations. So we're very sensitive to our environment and how it touches our body. And then the sixth sense is the mind, an Eastern way of looking at the human body and mind, the mind is a sixth sense. We didn't, we didn't learn that when we grew up. We thought we only had five senses, when actually we had six. I remember I, was, I went into a, a grade school one time to give a talk, and the kids you know, had these murals on the wall, and one of them said, the five senses. You know, when he listed the five senses, I said, wait a minute, there's one more sense. It's the mind, it's the success. It's a really important sense store, as you probably experienced already, right? Because when there's contact at some level of the mind, then thoughts arise. In order for there to be any kind of perception, there has to be the sense door, a sense object, and consciousness present. Okay, so as you sit here and you look at me, there's the eyes, the physical form, consciousness is present in that moment, and there's seeing consciousness. You have an ear, I'm speaking, 
consciousness present, those three things, so there's hearing consciousness. We walk downstairs and there's a nice meal prepared for us and we walk down into the dining room and there's a nose and there's the object of sense, consciousness is present, very present, and there's smelling consciousness. <laughs> we walk outside, the cool air touches our body. There's body consciousness. And we're sitting in meditation and um, the mind uh, contacts a thought, mind being the sense door, a thought being an object. We're aware, we're conscious, and we're aware that a thought arises in the mind. It's just a perception. Perception happening from moment to moment to moment to moment. Constantly. Because of the way that we're, because of embodiment, we have these human senses. In Hinduism, they say that the senses are imperfect, that they're limited. Well, it's the senses that we have as human beings. As long as you have 20-20 vision and can hear normally, etc., it's what we need. It's all that we need in terms of the kind of sense perception that allows us to enjoy you know, the beauty of the world that we live in, allows us to function as human beings. When we're out of the human body, then the senses may be a very, very different experience than the way that it is now. And I have a sense that that's what they're talking about, the Hindus, when they say that the senses are imperfect or that they're limited but they are what we experience as we're in human form. So the first aggregate I started talking about was the body. The second aggregate, there are five aggregates altogether, the second aggregate is perception. We're perceiving all of the time at one of our sense bases. So what we're aware of in our meditation is that contact at the sense bases and what arises from that perception, which is feelings. And that's the third of the aggregates. The third major area that we're aware of in Vipassana meditation. We're aware of the feelings that arise as a result of the perceptions that are taking place from moment to moment to moment. The feelings, the kind of feelings that arise are pleasant feelings, unpleasant feelings, or neutral feelings. Neither pleasant or unpleasant. So, I'm sitting here and somebody in the wood stove is being heated up, it's becoming hotter in here, there's feeling, there's tactile sensation on the body from the heat, that's the perception, okay, is tactile sensation, heat on the body, the mind describes in some way what it's experiencing, and then from that a sensation arises, in this case it would be an unpleasant sensation that's arising in the mind at that moment. Now, when an unpleasant sensation arises like that, oftentimes it will give rise to thoughts. And the kinds of thoughts that arise may be aversion, 
You know, not liking to feel the intensity of the heat or feeling sweat. And so thoughts of um, wishing I was sitting in a different place in the meditation hall instead of right next to the wood stove. You know, or wishing that it was warmer outside so we would have to have a fire. All these different kinds of thoughts that are arising as a result of the perceptions and the feelings that gives rise to the thoughts inside of ourselves. Okay, so aversion, averted thoughts start to arise. That's another one of the hindrances, is aversion, dislike. To give another example, you're walking around the um, around the uh, dormitory, the dining hall, and you see a physical form that's attractive to you. So there's the sensor of the eye, there's the physical form, and from that perception, pleasant feeling arises. Now, if we're not aware of the pleasant feeling and the mind grasps hold of that pleasant feeling, then it gives rise to desire, to wanting in the mind. That's another one of the hindrances, is desire, is wanting mind. Or you're sitting in, you're sitting in, um, uh, in the meditation hall, and, a, and you start feeling movement of energy, pleasant sensations start to arise. The mind says, oh, that's nice, I want more of that. Or you see somebody walking very slowly outside, very mindfully walking, and you say, boy, I'd like to walk like that. There's contact, there's perception, there's pleasant feeling. And out of that pleasant feeling, desire, wanting, aversion, all begin to arise inside of our mind. I mean, that's the nature of human existence, is that these feelings and these thoughts, because of perception, because of memory, all start to arise. I mean, this is mostly what we experience in the context of our meditations, in the context of our life. I mean, how many thoughts of desire or aversion have you experienced so far today? I mean, many, many, many mind moments. A lot of them conditioned from previous experiences. Because their mind is conditioned to aversion or attraction, then it doesn't take a whole lot for it to start to come up. And oftentimes it will come up very quickly and with a lot of intensity also because you're letting it come up. You're saying, okay, meditate, and we'll just see what's there. Okay, whoa, and it'll all start to come up. You know, all those feelings, all those thoughts, all the feelings of pleasantness, of unpleasant, aversion, of desire, it will all just start to be stimulated inside of ourselves. You know, at first we want to put a stop to it. Say, whoa, you know, I want a calm mind. I just want to be concentrated. You know, I just want to be at peace. And that's what you're supposed to feel, experience when you're meditating, right? Peace. You know, not turbulence of mind, not the mind constantly holding on to one or two desires that, you know, recycle themselves over and over in the mind, you know, 80 times during one sitting. 
you know, it, that's not really what we want, which creates more aversion in the mind, and we start to get into judging ourselves, and, you know, why am I thinking this, and why am I feeling that? And more judgment, more condemnation, more aversion, more feeding into old patterns, into conditioning, and it just goes over and over and over, around and around. And the Buddha called this samsara, the samsaric cycle of birth and death and rebirth of the many feelings and thoughts and different states of mind that we tend to get, we get caught in because of the grasping and the clinging of the mind. And so essentially what we're doing here is we're just stopping, physically stopping. You know, going to a very quiet place like this where there's not a lot that's going to distract us around us, even though we can find a few things here and there. But just, be, you know, in a quiet environment and sitting and being with ourselves. And in the beginning, it brings up a lot of stuff. It really does. When I first started practicing, I was living in a monastery, and all we were doing was intensive meditation. And I would, for about a, a year and a half, I would go through periods of experiencing intense, very intense states of fear and aversion that would last for like two or three days at a time. So I experience for two or three days and I get a little break, a day maybe, and then it would come back again very strong for two or three days. And this went on for a really long time. It just kept coming back over and over and over again, manifesting itself. And it comes back so that we can learn from it. It's always there in front of us. Whatever it is that we need to learn will be offered to us. We can guarantee that. Whatever it is that we need to learn will be presented to us. And then it's just a matter of being willing to be with it, to look at it. And that takes a lot of courage, as you all have. You decided to spend eight days here. You've got courage you know, and patience, endurance, honesty, and many, many different qualities that are developed in the process of looking, being with oneself and looking at what is there, because some of it is not very pleasant to look at. You know, the jealousies and the envies and the mind getting caught in you know, very small places in the mind, oftentimes out of fear, oftentimes out of fear. You know, because we're very, very fearful that we're not okay. Who we are, that who we are as a human being, we're not okay, just as we are. I mean, some kind of programming that's taken place that we're not all right in who we are as a human being. I meet very, very few people who really feel very good about themselves and very loving towards themselves. There are some like that, but much more the tendency is extreme judgment and criticism of ourselves, feelings of deep inadequacy and unworthiness, not really liking ourselves. In the mind much more willing to criticize itself and then to honor itself. 
And it creates this fear inside of ourselves that we're not okay, that we're never going to be okay, that we're not going to get what we need in life. You know, it's not going to work out for us. It's a very deep feeling that many people have. And it creates a lot of restlessness, it creates a lot of agitation, which is another of the hindrances. Restlessness and agitation. Restlessness and agitation oftentimes comes from fear. It's like fear is, is a pot of water that has a flame underneath it that's heating up the water. And the surface of the water is the restlessness and the agitation. Well, deep inside of us, we have a lot of fears. You know, fear, fear that we're not going to be accepted by other people. People aren't going to like us. They're not going to love us. And if they do love us, they're going to withdraw their love for some reason. Especially when they find out how bad we are. How unworthy we are of their love. And so there's a lot of this taking place, this, the, these underlying fears that are there, and that creates a sense of restlessness and agitation inside. That is difficult to really feel comfortable with ourselves, you know, to truly be at peace. You know, to feel a deep level of peace and calm within ourselves because of the worry because of the anxiety, because of the deeper fears that are there working inside. All we can do is begin to uncover them. And just like one fear at a time, one strand at a time, one is there just to look at it, to be with it. Oh, here's a fear that I'm not going to give a good Dharma talk. Here's a fear that they won't like me. Here's a fear that I won't be accepted as a teacher. And here's another fear that I'm not a good enough son or daughter, or whatever it might be. And each time that there's a fear there, just to recognize the fear and allow it to be there. Okay, here is fear, just hold it in your hands. Here is fear. Feeling fear, feeling fear. Fear that I'm not going to be accepted, that I'm not going to be loved. Whatever the fear, that I'm not going to get what I want that I'll always feel the sense of lacking, of wanting in my life, whatever it might be. And then offering some love and acceptance to that person who is feeling the fear. That ability to offer love to the fear inside of us begins to quieten the heart, begins to calm the heart down. It's the same thing with doubt, which is another one of the hindrances. It's like, where does doubt come from? You know, looking at it, where does doubt come from? Yeah, at certain times in our life, we usually move into confusion and doubt, doubting ourselves. Who we are, where we're supposed to be, what we're supposed to be doing, what our life is supposed to be like, what it is that we're supposed to be experiencing in our life. That we become very doubting of ourselves. It's helpful to investigate the doubt. Not that doubt is something bad, because doubt, there can be a lot of wisdom in doubt. And doubt can be a good prod to further investigating ourselves. But oftentimes, the doubt that arises inside of ourselves is because there's a fear of the unknown, a fear of what's going to be taking place in the future. 
a memory of what it was like in the past or what it's like in the present, a feeling of dissatisfaction with that on whatever level, whether it be our meditation practice, our spiritual development, our livelihood, the relationship we're in, whatever it might be. But there's a certain level of dissatisfaction with that. And in the mind, being the mind, projects into the future and says, is it always going to be this way? Is it always going to be difficult? You know, will it, will it feel better? Where will I be? What will I be doing? What will my life be like? So the mind reaches into the future. And as it reaches into the future and into the unknown, and there's fear in that because the unknown is the unknown. We don't know what it is. The mind grasps hold of that fear, and then it begins to feel more confused, it begins to doubt. And the doubting grows, and it grows. In looking at ourselves, we start to become more aware of the hindrances that are there. And as we start to look at them, we start to see what they're composed of, what they're, how they're conditioned how they arise inside of ourselves. So what are they? There's desire, wanting mind. There's aversion or negative mind. Fear is also a kind of negativity. Boredom. Boredom is also a form of negativity, of aversion. We're not, we're, we're bored with the present moment. You know, it's because we don't really want to look at the present moment. There's a part of our mind that is not really investigating, it's not really alive. And so we're bored. We feel separate from our experience. It's a form of aversion. Restlessness and agitation. The Buddha called it worry and flurry. It's a term he gave it. Restlessness, agitation. And then there's the doubt. The doubting mind. Oh God, will it ever get better? Will I ever have what I want? You know, where am I going? All of that. And then, the one that I talked about earlier in the day, the sloth and torpor, the tiredness, the heaviness. It's another one of the hindrances. It's important to keep these in mind. Be aware of them in your practice. You'll have plenty of opportunity here during these days to really become very familiar and intimate with them. And you'll know what they are when you experience them at home. Because they come up at home too, right? <laughs> they just don't come up the retreat. They're, they're, they're around all the time. There's a, uh, a teacher named Milarepa, a Tibetan yogi who lived in the Himalayas, who was practically naked. And he drank so much of this nettle tea, his skin started to turn green. He lived in caves. He was very ascetic. He meditated a lot. And one day, these demons showed up at the cave, and they had these weapons, these skulls, these bats, you know, they were screeching obscenities. They looked horrendous, and they came in shrieking and howling, and he was sitting there by a fire as they came in. And he was sitting there very calmly, and they stormed in, and uh, he just looked at them, and he said, Ah, oh, yes, come in, come in, sit down, have a cup of tea with me. And so these, these demons said, What do you mean have a cup of tea? They said, we'll kill you. Aren't you afraid of us? 
And he said, no, he said, just looking at your hideous visage reminds me of how wonderful it is to be a yogi on the path to healing. So come in, sit down and have a cup of tea. Be with me, have some tea. Can we have that same kind of attitude with what's arising inside of ourselves? All the things that are right. Can we have that same kind of welcoming after? Ah, yes, aversion. Come in, sit down, have a cup of tea. Desiring mind, sit down, please. Have some chai. You know, doubt, restlessness, agitation, slothfulness. Have a good, strong cup of coffee. Wake up. You know, just be with whatever is there inside. Just welcome it in and be with it. And I think this is extremely important in terms of our development of meditation practice, having this kind of attitude. Because without it, too much. We suppress and we bury so many things. We bury and we suppress because we don't like what is there. So we push it away. There's aversion to it. And with a powerfully concentrated mind, to some degree that's successful in the mind being quiet, yet we find that, you know, there are times when there is a stronger aversion and we lose control and become very angry and it all starts to come up inside of ourselves because it hasn't been dealt with in an effective enough way. It hasn't been resolved. It hasn't been looked with. The roots of the aversion, of the desire, um, of the delusion hasn't been cut at a deep enough level because we haven't been able to allow ourselves to be with it in a deep enough way. I want to talk more about this during the course of the retreat. You know, how to work effectively with what is there. The aggregates is really the basis of what we're aware of here in our practice, of our body, of our perceptions, of our feelings, of our thoughts. And the last one is consciousness. That's the fifth aggregate. Consciousness is that aspect of ourselves that is aware, that sees, that hears, that tastes, that feels, that thinks, that is aware of thoughts, that is aware of everything. That's what consciousness is. And we're aware of that aggregate also. And that's what we're developing through our practice, is awareness of all of the aggregates and how they relate to each other, how they integrate how they arise and cease, how one gives rise to another, you know, how they associate with each other. The Buddhist said that all that we know, need to know for liberation lies within this body and mind, this fathom-long body and mind. Everything that we need to know, the five aggregates, being aware of them, seeing what they are, seeing how they arise, seeing how they cease, seeing what happens when we grasp and cling to an aggregate, what that creates inside of ourselves, seeing what leads to suffering and what leads to the cessation of suffering. So let's just have a couple of minutes of quiet reflection if we could. Thank you for listening. 
To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.